There are very few things that investors can do that are free. But what about a podcast that delivers educational content on investing, saving strategies, financial planning, topical items of interest, and maybe even the odd wacky topic? Welcome to Free Lunch. Hosted by Greg Kremitsky and Colin Andrews of the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy, Free Lunch will bring listeners the firm's vast knowledge and experience in dealing with uncertainty to help clients achieve their vision through a deep understanding of what is important to them that requires planning, money, and time. Learn more and subscribe today at markets-work.com. Welcome back to the Free Lunch Podcast with Greg and Colin. Whoa. That's my radio voice. That's very enthusiastic. Well, I am enthusiastic, Greg, because things are looking a little better in markets these days, so that's always nice. It is nice. I was doing some rebalancing today of some portfolios because we do do a quarterly rebalancing for our clients, and it was nice to see things like uh, fixed income go up because that's been uh, been a tough 18 months, the fixed income yeah, markets. Yeah, it, it has been, and we're running the risk of having almost three years of negative returns in fixed income. Which has got to be the first time since you and I have ever been in this industry, oh, right? Oh, easily. Yeah, it might be the first time in history. I'm not sure. And I guess that's why people are have been asking the questions about their performance recently. Because, you know, normally fixed income's up when equities are down and vice versa. But it's been a tough 18 months. But it will get better. And maybe that's why I'm enthusiastic today, Greg. It's getting better. Last week, we talked about uh, relative returns and absolute returns. And those are different things. And during the course of our discussion, we talked a little bit about Yogi Berra, somebody who you've brought up from time to time. I think it was because you watched a Yogi Berra Netflix episode. That's that right? right. Yeah, documentary about him. So I ended up watching the same documentary and it was it was pretty good. I quite enjoyed it, actually. Interesting that people just smoked everywhere back then. You just don't see that these days. So today's episode, we're going to talk about these famous sayings from Yogi Berra, these yogiisms, as they're called. I think it'll be kind of fun, fun to infuse a bit of humor and wisdom into our investing discussion by drawing inspiration from the great Yogi Berra. Is he known as the great Yogi Berra? He was a better baseball player than you and I ever will. And he was not just a baseball icon, but his witty and sometimes puzzling quotes often had some surprising depth that can be applied to various aspects of life, including investing. Let's start with the first Yogi Berra quote, which I actually brought up last time. And that one was, it's tough to make predictions, especially about the future. It is so true, and it happens all the time. This one is really a gem when it comes to investing, because we can't predict the future, and trying to time the market perfectly is, is kind of like trying to catch a knuckleball with your eyes closed. Have you ever done that? I have not. Do you even know what a knuckleball looks like? I don't know what it looks like. What, are you talking about the trajectory of the ball? Yeah, like the ball has no spin on it, so it moves in different directions. Anyways, that's, that doesn't matter. I've never tried to catch one. We'll try hitting one. But everything always seems obvious after the fact, and we're going through a lot of that right now with people. You know, I should have swung at that, I shouldn't have swung at that, etc. as it pertains to batting. But as it pertains to investing, it's, it's like, well, I should have bought this or I shouldn't have bought that. And there's lots of people out there who make their livings trying to figure out the future movements of markets. These people would be called analysts yep. or research folk. That's a folksy way of referring to research analysts. Yeah. But the interesting part to me is that if these people were so good at predicting the future, or if it was that easy to do so, then these would be the gatekeepers of all the knowledge. And Greg, they would be ultra wealthy. 
But this isn't true. It's not how it works. So we looked at a DFA study a while back ago, and it showed over a 20-year period, now this is in the U.S., there were about 3,000 equity mutual funds at the beginning of the period, but only 44% of them existed 20 years later. And of that, only 17% of them actually beat their benchmark. But they all would have claimed to have been able to beat the benchmark when they first started their funds. What it points out is that it's really hard. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And we know that timing the market is notoriously difficult. And instead of trying to predict short-term movements, let's focus on the long-term game. Another uh, yogi-ism, you've got to be very careful if you don't know where you're going because you might not get there. It's so true. This actually reminds me of when somebody comes in that maybe they've been referred to us, we don't know them. And the first thing they start with is, well, what will you invest in for me? Or what kind of return have you been getting or do you expect to get? And we always default to, well, what is? have you done any financial planning? Because if you don't know where you are, how are you going to know where you're going to get to? That makes a lot of sense to me. Oh, it does. And you and I have talked about this over the many years, is like, you have to have a plan. You, because how can you decide what's the right rate of return? How can you decide what's the right amount of risk to take in your investments if you don't know? And if when you do know, it's like, well, gee, if you don't need to take any risk, if your financial security is guaranteed for the rest of your life and you, all of your wishes have been met as far as, you know, estate plans and things like that, then why would you take a lot of risk? Yeah. You know, and we usually suggest people have investments, some investments in equities, let's say, just if, for nothing else to stay ahead of inflation. And I'm not talking about current inflation of where we were two years ago at 8%. I'm talking about just normal inflation, 2 to 3%, which is the goal. But you want to stay ahead of that. And so you don't need to swing for the fence. Hitting, you know, hitting some base hits, keeping the baseball analogy going, rather than swinging for the home run and striking out possibly. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you just focus on a get-rich portfolio, say, okay, what are your five best stocks, Greg? Give them to me. You know, and you, you could absolutely hit it out of the park or you could strike out wildly. And, uh, and unfortunately, when you strike out in finance, it's a little bit different than striking out in the batter's box. Yeah. No, There's no for recovery. Sure. No, exactly. And sort of tying in with that, you know, Yogi once said, if you come to a fork in the road, take it. And, you know, that really speaks to there are going to be decisions you have to make from time to time. And you have to make those decisions. You can't choose not to. You've got, you're going to take it one direction or the other. And having that plan and having a solid basis for why you're making certain decisions will actually help get you there. Well, I made a terrible decision recently, Greg. What was that? Well, it wasn't terrible, but we ended up going down to uh, Arizona with my daughter and three of her friends. And I wasn't supposed to be on this trip. It was supposed to be a, like a mother-daughter trip, but there were just too many people and Everybody needed some help with stuff like that, right? So anyways, long story short. So wait a sec, was that the mistake? Or have we come to the mistake, the, yeah. dis the bad decision yet? Well, actually, it turned out to be a great weekend. But I used this analogy. We were out on a hike with these girls. These girls are all 17, 18 years old, and we were hiking through the desert. And we came to a fork in the road. And the girls didn't know which way to go. And they said, hey, Colin, 
which way do we go? And I said exactly this to them, Greg. If you come to a fork in the road, take it. <laughs> and they all looked at me like I was crazy. Of course, I said, no, just go right. But actually, let's just talk about decision-making for a minute. You know, I think that people spend too much time on decisions that don't need really big analogies or research. You know, so for example, you go to the restaurant and you get the menu and you're like trying to decide what to eat. Well, there's really no negative impact if you choose the chicken or the steak, whatever, like you're probably going to get enough nourishment from either. But when you're making a decision about, should I put 100% of my investments into equities? That's a very different decision. And you come to these forks in the road, they're called market cycles. And then you're faced with, okay, what do I do now that the market went down and I'm stuck in this bear market and I'm 100% in equities? Do I sell out and grab some fixed income? Of course, that wouldn't be a good decision at that time. So you got to ride it out. It's an interesting one. Another decision that you made was to wear that sweatshirt you're wearing today. For people at home that can't that can't see this, there's it seems to be like a an angry bunny or something on the. Uh, what's the story behind that? We can't promote brands on this show. Oh, okay, sorry. There is a line called Psycho Bunny, and I'm not promoting them, but I quite like them. All right. Well, Psycho Bunny, I've, I've learned something today too. Might be a sign of my age that I'm not familiar with Psycho Bunny. Here's another one. If you come to a fork in the road, take it analogies and decision-making. I mean, pre-COVID, how did we dress when we came to work? Oh man, suits and ties. Suits and ties Monday to Friday. That was it. Post-COVID, yeah, the world's become a little bit more relaxed. That's right. And you're wearing a Psycho Bunny sweatshirt to, to the office. Why are you giving this away to the listeners? This is just kind of a preview of what they're going to see when we start putting up YouTube video, or not YouTube, sorry, won't be YouTube videos, videos on LinkedIn. And again, we just talked a little bit about you have to make a decision. You don't want to be paralyzed by indecision, particularly when it comes to your investment strategy. And that leads to, gee, diversification. There's a decision that saves you from making future decisions. So something to, to think about. I want to default a little bit to uh, Deming and his plan, do, check, act model as it comes to decision making, because you've come up with a plan and then you do it, you put it into action and then you check back on it and then you act or make uh, adjustments as required. Investing is no different, but let's talk about another yogiism that hits close to home for many investors. The future ain't what it used to be. Can you talk about that one? Sure. The investing landscape is constantly evolving, and, and what worked in the past may not be the best approach moving forward. Being adaptable, staying informed, pretty key. Key primarily for advisors, and then key for them to impart this information to their uh, customers. But it's particularly true of investment approaches that have been developed based on decades of academic and industry research. And basically, what's happened over the last I don't know, 20 years or so, is there's been better ways of investing that have evolved, both in terms of investment outcomes, as well as the investing experience for many people. And so, for instance, decades ago, investors might hold random stock portfolios, just a bunch of stocks, no focus on the overall structure of the portfolio in terms of risk, volatility, things like that. Trading in those days was extremely frequent, which resulted in not only high commissions, but also poor tax consequences for people, you know, so lots of trading going on and replacing one stock with another because an analyst might have a slightly higher price target on that stock. And 
stress for investors was pretty high, basically just due to the natural rhythm of the markets. You know, and the rhythm, when I say rhythm of the markets, what I'm talking about is the fact that generally there's a 10% correction in the stock markets every year or two. I think officially it's one and a half years on average. And there's typically a, a 20% or worse bear market every four or five years. Well, that can cause some stress. And that's going to cause stress, you know. So today, unlike the old days, investors can hold a broadly diversified pension-like portfolio at relatively low cost in a very tax-efficient way. And so having that diversification obviously helps in smoothing the volatility. And then combine that with tying the portfolio to a well-defined financial plan, like we spoke earlier, that can help provide comfort that a person's on track to reach their goals. And so it just helps you ride through that volatility, which we know, as I said, from the rhythm of the markets, there's going to be a lot. Let me just take this for a second here, Greg, because I've run into this a lot recently because the market last year wasn't very good and the year before that wasn't very good. And so people have a bit of fatigue. And so they're looking at, uh, you know, we got to do something different now. And we keep talking about planning. And I'm sure there's people out there like, man, these guys, all they talk about is planning. But there's a reason for that because when somebody comes into our office and they look at their rate of return, it might not look that good. But if we are able to show them the market value of their investments compared to a benchmark from their financial plan, otherwise known as a goals-based report, that shows where we thought they should be and where they are today, even though they might be having a negative performance rate of return, they may actually be ahead of their goals-based plan. So what's more important, meeting your goal or having a positive investment return? Well, and I think obviously the, that's a, a bit of an easy question. You know, yeah, it was the, a softball. Yes, obviously being on track to meet your goal would be the number one priority for, for most people. And, and if they can focus on that, that absolutely helps get rid of some of that volatility stress that comes. And listen, while there's, there's changes in the industry that offer better ways of investing than decades ago, there are certain cycles that recur over and over. I guess that's redundant, over and over cycles. That's the basic definition of a cycle. You didn't pick up on my irregardless? Uh, I love irregardless. Not regardless. It's like there's another famous investor who had some good quotes, but John Templeton, Sir John Templeton of the Templeton Funds used to say, the four most dangerous words in investing are, it's different this time. Bottom line is, it always feels different. And the reasons for whatever might be happening, usually in a bear market, that's when people are most concerned. People tend not to be concerned when things are going extremely well. While the reasons for whatever might be happening are different, the trajectory and outcomes tend to be very similar to other bear markets. Three years ago, it was a global pandemic. In 2008, 2009, it was a global financial crisis. 2000, it was the bursting of the technology bubble. Currently, we're going through a period of high you know, geopolitical tension. You know, There's wars going on, high inflation. There's always going to be something that causes disruption to the economy and to corporate earnings, and there will likely be a recovery from those factors as there haven't been in the past. So other people have said when it comes to the business cycle, you can't repeal the business cycle. And that's why it's, it's a cycle. You can't repeal it? You can't repeal it. It's going to happen over and over again. Okay, what about this other uh, yogiism, which is really what you just described? 
it's deja vu all over again. That's basically what you just went through. That's right. And it ain't over till it's over. And listen, markets go up, markets go down. As I said, it's the cycle. But as long as you stick to your long-term strategy and stay patient, there's always a chance for a comeback. And so staying invested, rebalancing are keys to surviving financially and emotionally through these periods. And the consequences of not staying invested can be pretty serious. So if you think back to the pandemic, anyone who sold out of their Canadian stocks in March 2020, you know, March 20th, I believe that year was the low. The markets were down quite a bit. And the, the pandemic basically forced a global shutdown. Uh, anyone that sold out then locked in a loss from the beginning of the year. So just two and a half months. Two and a half months, yeah. Locked in a loss of about 31%. Now, had they just stayed in, invested for the full year, this is Canadian stocks, they would have earned 5.6% on the year. You know, not a great year, but not negative. And in the U.S. market, selling out in March would have produced a loss of 29%, but staying invested for the whole year would have provided a gain of about 18%. Now, I'm not much of a mathematician, but to me, 18% positive sounds better than negative 29%. Am I, am I doing the math right there? You know you are. Similar situations, of course, have occurred during every bear market, and investors' fears about the future are real and they're powerful. But if you have a basic understanding of financial markets history, you don't need to be an, an expert, but you have to understand that these things have happened before. If you have a clear and defined plan, a well-diversified portfolio, that should all help to smooth out the emotions as, as well as the portfolios. I don't know if you can ever smooth out emotions, though, because... There was another thing I was listening to the other day. I think it was Dr. Daniel Crosby, a guest of our show and friend of the CM group. And he made some quote, and I'm going to butcher it right now. And it was something along the lines of, you can't solve a, uh, an emotional problem with logic. Uh, you have to meet that person at their emotional state. Anybody who's married or has a significant other, I think, has probably learned that lesson, but yeah. not really understood, Would, might not be able to put it into words. Yeah, well, exactly. Well, I think Dr. Daniel Crosby did. Can't solve an emotional problem with logic. And I read, unfortunately, we run into this pretty regularly. I actually have a meeting tomorrow that I'm not really looking forward to. It's somebody who's coming in to talk about why their portfolio is down. And they sent me a pretty nasty email about it. But it was, when you read through the email, it's just full of emotion. And yeah, I can pepper that person with all the logic. I could pepper them with all of the uh, factual data from previous market cycles and just how markets work and whatever. We've got access to all the data. I'm just not sure that's going to be the most effective way of communicating. So I've got to meet that person at their emotional level. And I think the root cause of that question or the root of that question, and we've talked about this before, is most people just want to know, am I going to be okay? Maybe that leads right into Yogi Berra's next quote. In theory, there's no difference between theory and practice. In practice, there is. I have no idea what that means. Can you expand on that one for us? I guess the concept there is if you have a theory, like people might have a theory about how stock markets perform, or they might have a theory about what certain factors in the economy might impact they might have on markets. So you might have a theory. But when you put that theory into practice, it doesn't actually work out the way that you might have imagined. And that's because of all of the other thousands of variables that could come into play. And that's one of the reasons why when people are making predictions, again, theoretically, we expect certain things to happen. And of course, that never 
or very often doesn't play out exactly the way that you expect. That's a good point because, of course, as you said at the beginning, everybody comes in and says, hey, what am I going to return next year? And we often use expected return. This is what our expected return is based off of all of those inputs. And then life happens and expected return never happens. It just becomes whatever the real return is. It's going to be higher or lower than what we expect most of the time. Well, and it's one of those things that when you talk about expected return and actual return, you'll often hear people say, well, risk and return are related. And I always say that's not actually true. You know, risk and expected return are related. If you take more risk by investing in companies without a track record or companies with high debt levels or companies, whatever, for example, you expect a higher return to compensate you for taking that higher risk. But that return is, no, is in no way guaranteed. Any more than investing in bonds over the last couple of years, we expected lower volatility and ideally still a positive return and bonds didn't deliver what we expected. Well, but they did deliver lower volatility than stocks. And they will over time. And again, part of the issue is time frame more than anything. But absolutely, risk and expected return are totally related. And expected return is all we can plan for and hope for. Well, I think there's a big difference between wisdom and knowledge. That is what basically you're describing. Wisdom, I think, trumps knowledge in that it's easy to study markets and market behaviors even behavioral biases of people. You can study those things and you can gain knowledge of how things work, but it's the applied wisdom during the actual real life moment that can trump knowledge. There's uh, one other yogiism that uh, maybe we can finish with, uh, you know, and it's one of the things as advisors and portfolio managers, we get asked, we get asked a lot. And so a lot of people might say, well, what do you think is going to happen next year? What do you think the market's going to do? It's an election year. What do you think is going to happen? And one of Yogi's uh, great sayings was, I wish I had an answer to that because I'm tired of answering that question. We can't predict what's going to happen next year. And we think our roles as advisors aren't to really answer the question, what's going to happen next year, but rather answer the question, how should we be best prepared for whatever may happen next year. And that's really what planning and portfolio construction and stuff like that's all about. I remember during the global financial crisis or the great financial crisis or whatever you want to call it, I often thought, wouldn't it be great if we had this automatic call-in function so that anybody that was calling in to ask about what's going on in the markets, it would be like, if you're calling to discuss the global financial crisis, press one. And then they would just be like a recorded message because it felt like at the time, every call, it was, you were having the same exact discussion with every single person. And the root cause was people want to know, am I going to be okay? And totally understandable with markets down 50%. 50, you know, all yeah, of five, us, zero. nobody was immune from that. So whether you're, you've been an advisor for 30 years or it's your first year of investing, Nobody was immune from that feeling of, oh my God, we've lost half our money in the, for, in the last year. In another year, it'll be gone. And look where it is now. The Dow is up like 400% since March 9th of 2009. That's a big number. Back to your point of, is this a positive or a negative number? What's better? It's a big number. Last yogiism is you can observe a lot by just watching. Well, I think what he was trying to say is, 
be aware of what's going on, watch what's going on, and that will tell you all you need to know. And we've been observing markets. We've been participating in markets for decades, and we see what goes on, and we keep learning the same lessons over and over again. It is the same lesson. It's just maybe rebranded with a different headline. And the principles have stayed the same forever. What's your, well, what's your planning? What's your asset allocation? What's your diversification strategy? Are you aware and monitoring your fees and expenses? And are you aware and monitoring your emotional response? And really understanding that there's a lot of uncertainty here. Very few things are guaranteed. So it's a world of uncertainty. And maybe finally, as Yogi said, if the world were perfect, it wouldn't be. There you go. Well, speaking of uncertainties, I'm going to go for lunch here right away, and I'm uncertain as to what I'm going to have. Well, I hope you make the right decision because a wrong decision could be disastrous. We'll catch you next time. Yep. Thank you for listening to the Free Lunch Podcast hosted by the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy. To subscribe to this podcast to get more realistic insight on investing or to connect with one of our talented partners, please head on over to markets-work.com. We'll see you next time on the Free Lunch Podcast. The CIBC logo and CIBC Private Wealth are registered trademarks of CIBC. If you are currently a CIBC Wood Gundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Private Wealth consists of services provided by CIBC and certain of its subsidiaries, including CIBC Wood Gundy, a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc. CIBC Private Wealth is a registered trademark of CIBC used under license. Wood Gundy is a registered trademark of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Colin Andrews and Greg Kraminski are investment advisors with CIBC Wood Gundy. This information, including any opinion, is based on various sources believed to be reliable, but its accuracy cannot be guaranteed and is subject to change. CIBC and CIBC World Markets, Inc., their affiliates, directors, officers, and employees may buy, sell, or hold a position in securities of a company mentioned herein, its affiliates or subsidiaries, and may also perform financial advisory services, investment banking or other services for, or have lending or other credit relationships with the same. CIBC World Markets, Inc. and its representatives will receive sales commissions and or a spread between bid and ask prices if you purchase, sell, or hold the securities referred to above. CIBC World Markets, Inc., 2023.